Take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. Have you experienced moments in your life when you really believed that God could do something and he could answer prayer and yet it looked like he wouldn't come through for you? Maybe you're in the middle of a trial of faith right now. Maybe it's one that's extended on for years. One that uh, you've not yet seen a direct answer to and you found yourself wondering, is God going to actually come through? Can he actually deliver as he says he, he can? I think about there's been several times as, as a church that we have face some corporate challenges, if you know what I mean, as a body of Christ together. Here in this local church, we face some challenges in the last 12, 15 years, really positive faith challenges that have put us sometimes to the point where we thought we were past that moment of being able to be delivered. There is no moment past being delivered, but you know how it can go when you think that you've exhausted all the options that are there and, and it's still sitting in front of you. I think about Several years ago now, it would be around 2008 and 9. God uh, opened the door for us. There's some really amazing answers to prayer. For us to get our first foot on the property, the whole piece of property next door, and it's actually before that picture there, but um, uh, it's, it's the, what was the one where the Heritage Center's at. And so we had the opportunity to buy, it was like uh, not even two acres of land, I think, and, and to build a building that we knew we needed. And at the time, we just saw it as a men's dormitory. And so I remember God working in our midst. A wonderful offering happened there. And we saw God deliver and, and enable us to get enough for the land purchase and, and more. Well, I can remember several key times in that journey, though, with the Heritage Center, how we came up to utter impossibilities, complete impossibilities. It seemed like it was past the time. I know those of you who have been around a while remember the whole conditional use permit that was pulled and went an entire year, and, uh, we, and it was going to be expired, and we had not been able to do anything on that piece of property. We needed more money to be able to get the project going and to be able to move forward, and, and I remember those moments of just in, the, in our staff prayer meetings and as we even had church prayer meetings, the Saturday night prayer, prayer meetings, just seeking the Lord, and it, it really, we knew God was working, but he was putting us at a moment where it almost seemed like the thing was dead, even though we knew it wasn't. And I can remember that uh, we, uh, God put on pastor's heart to take a step of faith and to actually to renew the conditional use permit. And that would have been a definite step of faith without really having the, the funds. And we said, God, would you give us a token for good? And in the midst of that, God gave us what was our first bus, not the um, second or third one, but the first one that we had. And that was a neat story I won't get into, but how God provided that literally on the spot, a check that just randomly came into our church from a man who had passed away who barely came to our church. It was exactly what we needed to purchase that bus. Well, that was, our, uh, that was a little bit of a, that, that was definitely a key moment of faith being strengthened. But then how God opened the door for ultimately for us to have, as we were praying about, Lord, we believe even you would have us do a groundbreaking at graduation, but we do, still do not have the funds to get there. And we felt absolutely like it was almost past the time. And the Lord put on our hearts, uh, pastor's heart, to have Pastor Schultz reach out to a foundation that we were aware of in Minnesota in this foundation. Uh, really by, operated by a couple who want to invest in, in Christian works, Christian colleges. Uh, they, uh, we just literally, I think it was a phone call or some, it was a letter sent. I'm not sure all that happened. It was a phone call first and then we sent a letter. The weekend before the graduation, a full week before. And, and I can remember thinking, wow, that's not going to be the answer, but maybe down, down the road God could use that. Well, just through the phone call alone, that God worked in that person's heart and God 
put it on their heart to send us a $100,000 check. That was an incredible victory. That Thursday when the pastor got the call, and that night we had our junior senior, and they were out on that property there the, where the Herod Center is now, and God even just graciously put a rainbow there in the sky. It was not that you have to have that, but that was a neat moment. As they were praying together for God to bring in the money for the offering, a match of that would enable us, the person asked for a match, but also to enable us to be able to take the next step forward. What did God do? He came through $112,000 that night. Incredible night of giving for, by our church family and the guests that were here. Well, then throughout that project, I remember we got the foundation in and the whole basement was done. It's really a miracle how God enabled that building to go from just what was a dormitory uh, to what it is now. Aren't you glad that God allowed us to go the whole, th whole way, those of you who've been around a while? Aren't you glad that Helmut Steckman said you shouldn't just do a little basement, do the whole basement and put a light? We talked about putting a library in there. All those things were totally of God. I'm so grateful for the way God used our deacons and, uh, and just how God led in pastor's life. It's just, it's really, that's a miracle building. Every time I see that, I say, to God be the glory. But I remember that um, basement was sitting there and we didn't have money to do more. And we were sitting there through the winter and then into the spring and that was just, they had put some hay stuff in there. It was starting to stink. It's actually a bad testimony that way. The sign was getting faded in front of there. And we knew God was working, but it didn't, we didn't see it. And it felt like another moment of death. Oh, wow. What are we going to do? Well, I don't have time to give, give the story, but in this booklet that was put together then called Little by Little, it walks through just the journey of how God delivered and miraculously provided for the Heritage Center. And to God be the glory for what he's done there. But there were a lot of seemingly death moments along the way, but then God did things in such a way that nobody here can take credit for what happened. That was God. Then we had the story of our land a few years later, and I remember um, as we had several times that we gathered on that piece of property, that picture there is one of them, and I believe that's actually the moment that God gave it to us and we were there rejoicing. But I remember as we were praying about it, uh, this was a 29-year uh, prayer journey. I was a little boy, I remember being five years old, standing out, this, was, this building wasn't even here, I was standing out in front of where Music Hall is now, the entrance there, and I remember as a little five-year-old boy, I was very interested in what was going on in the church. I, God had given me a dad who loved the Lord, and I just thought being in the work of God was the best thing ever. I still do. But I remember as a little boy standing there and watching some of our men, like Brother Steckman and several other men who were a part of our church at the time, coming right, um, going past this spot up to... Uh, the property there, and it was more of a hill at the time. It wasn't developed. And, and they went there to pray and seek the Lord, and I can remember watching that, and 29 years God left that piece of property open in a very, in a community that's been developing. And when we got to the opportunity to purchase the land, it came because we felt we actually were about, we had a death moment. Here, all of a sudden, we get contacted by a company saying, we're putting apartments there. Would you like to have some staff that can live there? And we didn't know anything about the development. Well, before we could even get involved, God shut it down through the village saying, no, we don't want apartments there. Well, that was God's um, goodness to us. But then through that, God enabled us to negotiate, and we got a price about a quarter of what the full price was. But even there, it was an impossibility. And I can remember we had a token for good. God told us, you're only going to do this through cash. And we were going to believe him for that. No plan B, no loan, nothing. It was going to be totally of God. And uh, God gave us a token for good of 50000 that came in the same day that we prayed. The matching offering that Easter. Just definite miracles there. But then I remember sitting right there during the college graduation and my phone buzzed. And it was the deacons that were in the back 
counting, and they sent me the uh, offering total, and the total offering that we had up to date was cash offering, I think was um, $195,000, and we needed four hundred twenty-five. I remember sitting there, and, and God had worked, I won't give you the personal journey I had, but God had worked in my wife and I's heart, and it was a, for us, it was a big step financially. It was going to put us in a spot where it had to be God or else we were in trouble. And I remember sitting there, and I thought, wait, Lord, this is unbelievably generous. Our church has never given cash like this this quickly, but, Lord, this is way short of what we need. And there was that moment in my heart of, of unbelief and almost uh, felt like death, like, oh, no, this is not going to work out. And for a whole week, I struggled. I actually was right with God in every way, except that I'd given to Satan there, and I got oppressed. I got, literally, I would walk my neighborhood and cry out to God, and I would pray, and I just couldn't get through. I won't give the story, but God delivered my heart on a Saturday morning early, and it was just, I literally rolled out of bed, and he said, I've got this, don't worry about it. And uh, it was through the prayers of my wife the night before. And I, I called pastor, and he was in for a shock. I said, Dad, God's got this thing. It's going to be great. He's got it. He's thinking, man, that's not what you were saying the whole week, you know. He didn't say it that way to me. He just was encouraged, but I know what he was thinking. And uh, what a son you were this week. <laughs> I want to help. I kept going to his office saying, Dad, we're in trouble. He's like, I know, but we're not. And uh, he, his faith was strong. But um, I remember that day that we had a glorious prayer meeting. Those of you men that were there, man, that was shouting ground. We were way, $235,000 short. We were in trouble. And... When that day we received word that another $100,000 gift had come in from somebody who could not sleep until they wrote the check. Not from our church, somebody from here that had been in service the week before. I remember God revived what seemed like death and he made life. And by the time we got to the moment when we found out that through a gift that was given literally a few moments before we signed, we literally had been, God had paid for that property with 500 to spare. That was God. The land story is a story that Nobody in leadership here can take credit for. God delivered us. And so it's something that when we look back at something like that, it helps us for the future steps of faith because it was seeming a death moment and God said, nope, I'm going to show my glory in the greatest way possible. And he did. That's God. I remember after that, um, our, I literally, it was the trip I think that took off right after that to go to New Mexico in the first bus. Uh, that was a miracle bus. That thing died or, or basically limped home and uh, it was dying on the way home. And that was it. That was the, the end of that. And pastor got burdened toward that fall that we needed to believe God for a second bus and just as a key for the ministry here and the college and all that we do. And, and so I, I, I remember that as he was praying about it, God told him no plan. A. am not even going to have you take an official offering. We're just going to trust the Lord. And I can remember there were several deadlines that we were given by the bus company. If you want to show the picture of that bus, if you want folks remember this thing. There were several deadlines that we had from that company that were absolutely impossible for us to get. We, were, we had seen some money come in. God was blessing, but it was still, I think, we were only not even at half. I remember even one time we had the check written. We weren't going to spend it. We, didn't, we weren't going to do that. We were going we to believe in God. But uh, we were just even praying to God. We were, this is one of those times that you're actually checking the mail. I mean, like all the time, Lord, is this, is this the day to check? I mean, seriously, we were because we were believing God. And there were several times that we thought we were done. Uh-oh, it's not going to happen. Oh, we missed this date. We missed this deadline. There's no way that we're going to be able to get that bus. But yet we did not. We knew that God was in it. I remember being on vacation. It was a Christmas. And we were past like two deadlines. And I remember one of my children said, Daddy, isn't, you know, doesn't, isn't God going to do it? I mean, he always has helped us and answered prayers. Why is he not doing it this time? And I, I remember saying to the 
child, I said, no, God's still going to do something. I don't know what. And I was struggling my own faith, but I knew God was still on the throne. He was working. I'll never forget when I was on down in Missouri and I got that call from a bookkeeper. And he said, I just received a $40,000 check in the office. And that paid for it. And I remember getting that word out to the staff. I mean, we were definitely having a hell of a wind-up, but we didn't know for sure if the, uh, if the, if the bus company was still had it there. We were pretty sure it was there, but if it was still going to be available and they were going to work with us. Well, amazingly, they had already signed the title over to us anyway, trusting that it was going to happen. And it was still sitting there, and God gave us that on the 1st of January, 2nd of January, whatever it was. I give you these stories just to remind you folks that God has been good to us. Now, it's not just material things. Those are important reminders of God's goodness. Really, the most important miracles are lives change and so on. But God, all throughout history, we're working with the children of Israel and the early church. He would provide even material needs to remind them that he's on the throne and that he's working. He would heal. He would deliver. And I want us to look at a story where we see the love of God very clearly seen, really loved for his glory is what I want us to see here today. The, the love relationship that God had with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha is a powerful one because it's all about, the, the story here is all about his glory being seen. I gave you stories, and I could go on and on about other, other stories, where God gave in the moment of complete impossibility, even to the point where we thought it could even be over, God always came through and delivered when he had led in prayer. I want us to look at something here, a story that many of you are familiar with, but I want us to do this. I'm going to have to read through this quickly, but I'm going to actually read through the story of Lazarus, and I want you to be encouraged by the love that God has for Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and the process that he worked in their lives in that love. It says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So Lazarus was not known by people. It was Mary and the story of her in the next chapter, actually. It says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, before I read any further, Jesus is about 20 miles away in a place called Bethabara, okay, beyond Jordan. This is actually where John the Baptist himself had, uh, had been baptizing before, and so Jesus retreats to this place. If you want to show the picture of that, uh, Isaac, please. Uh, he retreats to this place, a little bit of a distance there. Uh, the reason for that, by the way, is because his life was threatened. All right? If you notice back in chapter 10 and uh, in verse 31, it says, Now the Jews took up stones again to stone him. He had just said that he was God. He, was, he has said, I and my father are one. He claimed deity. I am. I am my father are one. He had talked about the fact that uh, my sheep hear my voice, and he was clearly claiming deity here. And then in verse 39 of chapter 10, it says, Therefore they sought again to take him. So then he goes beyond Jordan, where John at first had baptized, and there he abode. So he's now away from the action. His life's being threatened. The anger toward him is increasing by the religious rulers. They were furious about the following he had, all that uh, was going on through his life, and they wanted to get rid of him. And so he was, so he stepped over there. God was still using him. You notice that many resorted to him at the end of chapter 10, and uh, many believed on him there. But if we go back to chapter uh, uh, 11 now, seeing this context, we find Jesus now getting this message. He hears this, and he says in verse 4, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? 
If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, after he had said unto him, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They thought he was. Uh, the disciples just missed points, you know, kind of like we do, right? And uh, so they said, you know, oh, good, Lord. He's going to take a good nap, and he'll get up and feel better. That's not what the Lord was saying. The Lord, howbeit, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, just, I like Jesus' phrase, straightforwardness, straightforwardness, Lazarus is dead. I want you to think about that for a minute. He just told them Lazarus is dead. This is the one who could heal any sickness, any disease. But just keep that in mind. And by the way, it says that they sent the messenger to Jesus saying, hey, the one that you love is sick. And it also says here that Jesus loved them. So everybody knew he loved them. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I haven't gone there yet. Lazarus is dead. Now, now, now we're going to go. I mean, that just doesn't seem very loving, does it? Right? I mean... You'd think if somebody could take care of the problem, they'd go do it, right? Well, that's not what happens here. At least it seems like that. And then he says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Before I read more, I want you to get this, folks. The whole emphasis of this chapter in the context of Jesus' love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is that he wants their faith to be built. It's all about what he wants to do in building faith and causing people to believe on him for salvation. Here you find that with the Jews later. And also you find it's ultimately about his glory being seen. That's what it is. So he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. There's a bigger reason why I didn't go show up and heal him. Because I want you to believe. That was his point. So he said, now let's go. Uh, now at this point he just said he's dead. So they're thinking, wow. Now, Jesus is going into a dangerous place. He's going back to the area where he was threatened. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, he's just all passionate. Let's, let's go with Jesus. Let's follow him. Let's, let's go. He's going to get right in the hornet's nest, and we're going to follow him. We're going to die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Lazarus was dead four days. Then it says, now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and uh, that's just about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. She said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come, and he called for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. Then uh, the Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out. They followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Now notice here, I just want you to keep this, tuck, tuck this away. The way that the Lord did this, maximum crowd impact here is coming. It's not just Mary and Martha now. We've got a whole group of people coming. Okay, just think about that. When Mary was come when, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. 
When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave, and the stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I, know, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I always hear people say Lazarus. I just did it. Lazarus, come forth. There we go. Then many, uh, actually, and it says, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto, the him, unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But, this is an interesting point, some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. I want you to see here, first of all, in this passage of Scripture, we see an important point about the love that Jesus had for them. First of all, you see how Jesus genuinely cares about us. And what I love in this chapter is it starts with a crisis that immediately the, the communication in the middle of the crisis by the sisters to Jesus is, hey, um, tell, them, uh, tell, tell him the one that you love, tell this, you know, they're telling them about the, the, giving the messenger the word to say. They're saying the one that you love, the one that you love is Sick. Love here we find is very clearly recognized by the recipient. The fact is that Jesus loves us. Jesus genuinely cares about us and he loves us. And, and, they, and, and the recipients of that love knew that, that he loved them. By the way, if you're going to believe God for anything, you've got to start with the fact that I know he loves me and has my best interest in mind. That's where it starts. In their limited way, they knew that he loved them. Now, they didn't fully understand the best interest part. But at this point, they at least recognize the fact that he loved them. And this word is different from the word agape. It's the phileo word. The idea of it, they saw it as a genuine caring for, a friendship. Jesus would stop through there. They was, definitely had a relationship with them that was very sweet and good. And, uh, and so they, they knew that. And they said, the one whom thou lovest is sick. We love him, by the way, because he first loved us. I love that passage in 1 John 4, 19. So this is where faith can grow and be developed. And this is really the platform that gave the Lord the opportunity to do a mighty deep work in their lives. And it came from the fact that they recognized his love. And so it was recognized by them, but it's even we see here it's, it's stated factually. It says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In this verse it says agape, unconditionally loved them. Now, have you noticed that this verse doesn't say Jesus loved them? It says that each one of them specifically. Jesus loved Martha. Martha, the one who was active, who was looking after the details. She was wanting to be hospitable. He loved her. He loved Mary, the one who was contemplative, who was spiritual, who had insight, who was tender, who had sympathy. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus, probably a man of few words. He was pretty quiet, probably and unobtrusive. You, just, you don't really see mention of him much in Scripture at all. Lazarus just, it's the first real mention of him. And uh, here he is, Lazarus. He loves each one of them individually. 
I know what some of you tend to do. You look at your personality, you think I'm not really that, lo that lovable. I, I'm, I've got these deficiencies, I'm this way. I want you to know that God specifically names you out and he loves you. He does. In fact, remember a few weeks ago when, we, when I got to preach on Ephesians chapter 5 here in the morning service, we talked about that we are beloved children of God. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that. We also know the passage of 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. In this, 1 John 4, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, and that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. So it starts with this, Jesus loves me. Now we know this, but this is what they recognized. But not only does Jesus love us, but he identifies with us. Look with me a little bit later here in the chapter. As we find here, Jesus there at, in Bethany, outside of Bethany there, where the tomb, close to where the tomb was, and Mary comes out there. And what does Jesus, or how does he respond here? He says there, it says there in verse 32, uh, when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. And she says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. So we see here, Jesus clearly saw the sorrow. Let me just say here, if there's a discouragement, an impossibility, a failure, a frustration, a hardship in your life right now, I want you to know Jesus sees that. He actually sees it. We sometimes forget that he actually sees it. He, he, I mean, we say, well, you know, he's God. No, he actually personally cares and sees it. He actually knows. He saw her situation right there. Now, it's interesting that these are the only recorded words that were ever given of us of Mary in the Gospels. What does she say? Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Oh, Somebody else said that earlier, right? Martha? Can you imagine their conversation? They send the messenger and Lazarus dies that day that they sent the messenger. Messenger comes back and gives the wonderful faith-filled message of, of the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't show up that day. Doesn't show up the next day. Can you imagine their conversation? If he had been here, just, the Lord had just been here. My brother, we, Lazarus, he wouldn't have died. Our brother wouldn't have died. And so they're just torn up inside. They're like, Lord, you're the one that can heal. You're the one that can deliver. And Lord, you weren't here. And there's that sense that they knew he cared, but they didn't know how to reconcile the actions of Jesus with what happened. He's dead. He's in the grave. He's gone. It's done. Right? Think of the song. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And by sad heartaches till it nearly breaks, is it aught to him? Does he see? I love the chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. He sees your sorrow, and he also is touched by it. Now, we, we find two ways, I believe, that, that the Lord's touched here. You have to look honestly at the words that are put here. And he's not just moved. I believe he is moved with compassion by their weeping and by the, the sorrow that he had about Lazarus. But you notice here it said that in verse, um, uh, in verse 33. When he saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. This is more than just being groaning because of agony about somebody's sorrow. This is the Lord being troubled even about the unbelief that they had. He was troubled about what he was seeing here and just even the result of sin and death. And you find the Lord just in his perfect holiness, just troubled inside. And as a, as a human being, he was, he was troubled. You notice here, powerful verse, the shortest verse in the Bible when it comes to the English Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He actually wept. 
Now, this isn't the same weeping and mourning that you find the, uh, the crowd that was gathered around had. They were wailing and doing the loud mourning. Jesus, that's not the same word. Jesus was quietly, but obviously weeping. Why do we know it's obvious? Well, the Jews said, whoa, behold how he loved him. They see this love of the Savior for Lazarus and his family, and they clearly can recognize it by his response. The Bible says in Matthew 9, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, literally racked with emotion, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. We've said this verse often here recently, but Hebrews 4, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Folks, he knows and he cares. So he identifies with us. So in this moment of God testing their faith and working and developing them, he's doing something very important here. He's actually showing us here in this section of scripture that he actually cares about even the process that he's allowing you to go through. He's actually touched by your sorrow. He, he loves you individually. He's not making any mistakes in your life. He never does. So secondly, we see here quickly that Jesus lovingly desires to build our faith. This is the whole point of this passage. You've got to start with the foundation, he loves me, but then you've got to realize he's all about building your faith. And the first thing we find about this loving desire to build our faith is we find a loving delay. We find a loving delay of the Lord. You say, how loving is that? Well, we'll see here in just a moment. Jesus knew when the message came back to them that he would give them a verse 4. He knew that Lazarus was already going to be dead. And he knew that what he gave them would be an important message to help build their faith when he would do a, a deliverance for them. He says in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death. Okay, so wait, wait a second. Jesus just said the sickness is not unto death. But by the time the messenger gets there, he's dead. So how is this sickness not unto death, right? All right, this is just to help build their faith. The word of God facing a almost oxymoron, a, just a complete impossibility, Right? It says, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So some questions may have been asked like this. If Jesus loved Lazarus so much, maybe why did he even let him get sick? Think about that one. Why did he delay? Couldn't he have healed Lazarus at a distance? You remember when Jesus did that with the nobleman's son? The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed. They knew that story. He had healed him from a distance. So I'm sure they thought, well, we'll send the messenger and the Lord will deliver our brother and heal him. That's not what happened. This delay, though, was a loving delay. You know that God's love is a perfecting love, not a pampering love? Our love relationship with him doesn't guarantee being free from difficulties. In fact, the closest relationship ever, ever known to us is the relationship of the father and son, right? And we think about it. He, even the heavenly father, permitted his son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the pain and shame of the cross. Love and suffering are not incompatible. Why? Because they unite in Jesus. Here's the point, folks. God allows the trying of our faith. He allows us to face difficult situations for one purpose, so that we can experience his love by what he does deeply in building our faith. Love and suffering are not incompatible. They are united in Jesus. Jesus, by the way, learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Christ in the garden before his death. That's a picture of that. God's delays are not denials. Love permits pain. We don't like pain, do we? 
We don't like to face that. We don't like to face the difficulties and the impossibilities. We want to run from those. But this delay that God gave was a perfect loving delay. Some of you right now are experiencing delays in your life. Some of you have children that are not right with God. You've been praying. You've been praying. And some of them are getting on courses that are pretty destructive and difficult, and you continue to pray. Let me just say, God's not making any mistakes right now. He's not condoning their sin. He's not causing them to sin. That's not the point. But God's doing something. Never give up. His loving delay is perfect. A loving risk he took, by the way. Jesus knew he was heading into the lion's den. Not Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But going back to Judea, just a couple miles away there from Jerusalem, that was dangerous. He knew it would cost him his life. So going back there was a loving risk that he took. Not really a risk because he knew what was going to happen, but that's the idea. He gave of himself knowing ultimately that he was going to ultimately give his life because he went back. Greater love hath no man than this, that the man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for his friends here at this by going back. Then we find a loving declaration. Notice that the Lord in verse 4, which we've, met, we, we've mentioned a few times, also in verse 14, he says, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Uh, Jesus, or Lazarus' death was to be a tool to build their faith. And so he gives a loving declaration. And he says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Let me just say, in this passage of Scripture here, we find an incredible truth. We find Jesus very clearly making it, just making it very obvious, because there are some Old Testament passages that some false teachers still to this day twist and say there's no eternal life. They'll, they'll take meaning of certain things in Psalms or other places, and they'll say, no, there's no, there's no life after that. There's no, there's no resurrection. There's no eternal life. And the Lord very clearly, clearly doesn't just say, state a doctrine. You know what he does? He makes it personal. I am the resurrection and the life. That's glorious. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So he takes it from being even a doctrinal truth, and he takes the doctrine and he wraps it perfectly in himself. I am the resurrection and the life. He makes it personal. Look, folks, today, if you're here and you're just walking through life and you actually have not experienced what we're talking about as a church family, even as we focus on Easter, the redemption that Jesus has provided through his blood and his sacrifice on the cross, and you don't have confidence in your eternal destiny, can I just tell you the only hope you have is to trust the one who is the resurrection and the life? Lazarus could not heal himself. Lazarus could not raise himself from the dead. Lazarus was in trouble. He was dead. But guess what happened? The one who could raise him delivered him. I am the resurrection and the life. Folks, there's a chasm of the difference between those who have placed their faith in Christ and trust in Christ and those who haven't. Remember John 3.16 and beyond there talks about that God gave his son, only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But then it goes on to say, if you don't believe, you're condemned. If you do, you're not. And you experience eternal life. You may be here this morning, you don't know that you have eternal life. Folks, this message, just this point about Jesus being the resurrection and the life and you experiencing his life by believing in him is key. I trust you'll experience that today. But he gave a loving declaration that was, was powerful. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And then we find a loving rebuke. Now, thankfully, Martha, she had a pretty good response. Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. She believed in him. But then we find the Lord having to rebuke her. Look at verse 40. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? She had just said, when the Lord said, open the tomb. By the way, it's interesting how the Lord was able to raise from the dead, but he still never went outside of his human attributes when a human action could be made. So he had actually had them move the door. He could have just said move door, but no, they moved the door. And uh, to the tomb, the stone. And, and uh, there Martha's like, oh, 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 oh. This is going to stink, Lord. This is not a good idea. Why are you doing this? And he says, didn't I say to you? Didn't I say that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Jesus reminded Martha what he had relayed all the way back in verse 4. Then, I want you to remember something else. You and I have something, someone called the Holy Spirit. John 14, the Lord says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. You know what? The Holy Spirit's good at rebuking us, isn't he, by our unbelief? Right now, there have been some question marks that have deeply got entrenched in some of your minds because you are in a Lazarus moment where it seems like what you've been praying for is already dead and impossible. And right now, the Holy Spirit's saying, haven't I told you who I am? I am the resurrection and the life, the Lord Jesus says. I am the one that delivers. This impossible situation that you're facing, I can deliver you. Believe me. See, the whole point is faith. He keeps coming back. Believest thou this? It's all about believing. It's all about trusting his word. And his word is true. Do you have steps of faith that you've been taking, taking that seem to be falling apart? The, as I've already mentioned, the application about some of you have children who are away from God. Maybe you're struggling in your own personal life about relationships that have been broken, marriages that have been broken. You have situations that are absolutely impossible, and you've gotten to the point where you're like, okay, that's just the way it is. And God's saying, uh-uh, yeah, it's dead, but don't forget who I am. And then we find that Jesus purposefully then enables others to see his glory. As we finish this message this morning, I want you to get this. It's all about him being seen for who he is. The times that God brings you to those points of utter impossibility and discouragements even and, and, and seeming in, in, in your mind failures and absolute awful situation, in those moments, God, he allows you to get to that point. If you will trust him, many other people can be impacted. Biggest impossibility, greatest effect. So what happens here. I mean, death requires a resurrection. So this event here, I mean, you're going to a tomb and you're standing there, and you're telling somebody to come out of it who's been dead for four days, and he smells, and he's been wrapped in all the grave clothes. Can you imagine that moment when Lazarus comes out? You know, I, I can't act it out, but I'm sure it's pretty, it's quite the shuffle, right? He comes out of that tomb. What an effect. Doesn't God do a lot better than we could do it? If he had said, Lazarus be healed from, from, from a distance, good, nice. Mary and Martha are encouraged, maybe a few friends hear about it we got a whole crowd showed up here. Biggest impossibility, greatest effect. By the way, an old Puritan preacher said, it's a good thing Jesus specifically called Lazarus' name because every dead person would have come out. It's true, actually, probably. Come forth. By the way, that's your Savior. Think about that. Come forth. Take what's dead. I'll make it alive. That's who he is. 
That's what, that's what he specializes in. Right now, you may have things in your life that seem like they've been stinking in the, gro- the, 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 the cave, the grave for, for even years. God's saying, I'm ready to say, come forth. Would you believe me? Perfect timing is a maximum effect or crowd, really. It's not all about crowds, but think about how God, he loves the world and he wants people to be impacted by what he does through believers. So the death and delay brought mourners. There would have been no mourners in this situation. There would have been all these friends of Mary and Martha that would have come along. They wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have been there. But they ended up coming. Why? Because he was dead. They come to help their friend. So you got a whole bunch of Jews there gathered around, and this death and delay brings these mourners. You know, many times we're so desirous of thinking of wanting God's work to have impact, and we want to see lives touched, and we want to see many people affected. And so we start trying to find out ways to, I don't know, People today try to build churches by human means. And it ultimately ends up having the stink of death on it. I'll tell you what, I want to be a part of a church. I'm thankful how God's worked here. But I want to be a part of a church in the days ahead that even in a greater way, when it's impossible, we see God deliver and his name is glorified. And when we felt like we were brought to the lowest of the low, God shows up, he delivers, and what does he do? The maximum amount of people are helped by it. We have thousands of people here who need to see God. Not us, because we don't have anything to offer, but he does. So the perfect timing. They're all, and by the way, even how the Lord did this. Here comes Jesus. He doesn't even get to their house. And uh, Martha comes out there. And then Martha goes to tell Mary. Jesus still isn't there. And so all these friends uh, think Mary's going to the tomb. She's trying to sneak out, you know. Martha secretly came. Hey, hey Jesus here. Because they didn't want Jesus to get hurt, you know, because they knew it was dangerous. So then Mary goes out, but then they follow her because they're like, oh, man. She's, she's going out to Lazarus' tomb. So the whole crowd comes out there. Doesn't Jesus do things perfectly? That's what happens. It's amazing. And then we find a full transparency of, of Christ in a divine revelation. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Verse 41. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Why did he do that? He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, Lazarus, come forth. He was very open and transparent. And let everybody know that this was of God. And when we get our hands off the situation and we look to God by faith, he has a way of letting everybody know that it was him that did it, not us. You have a child who needs help. You have a situation in in your life that's broken, a work situation, people in your neighborhood you're praying for. I'll tell you what, you get a hold of God and you believe him, you may still have a lot more seeming death and even more impossibility, but when God works and when he delivers, oh man, it's going to be great because everybody knows he did it, not you. I love it when he does it in such a way I can't even try to take the glory for it. That's what God specializes in. And that's what he did here. He says, I know that thou hear me always, but because of the people which stand by. See, he's concerned about your faith. He's concerned about my faith. And he says, because, um, because of, the, of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And then what happens? Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. So my question for us this morning is this. Do we accept the fact that God loves us, that God loves us perfectly this morning? And do we accept the fact that the trials he's allowed in our lives and even through our own failures and the ways that we have messed up, do we recognize the fact that even through those death moments, that if we will look to the Lord and we'll keep believing him by faith, that we can actually experience resurrection power. He says, I may know him in the power of his resurrection 
And that power will be seen in such a way and manifest in such a way that many other people will be touched. And they'll all know it was him. That's what God wants. That is how God wants us to live. So, right now, I want you to ask God, where am I doubting you right now? What seems like death in my life? What seems like discouragement, difficulty, impossibility? Then I want you to reflect on, on the love that Jesus, Jesus had and how he operated here. The delay, the risk, the declaration, and the rebuke. And recognize that God wants to do something big. It's all about his glory. It's not about my easy life. It's not about my comfort. It's about him. Oh, Lord, keep me focused on that. That needs to be our perspective. And when we keep ourselves there, then many others will see his glory and will believe that he's real. May we not live temporal, but may we embrace his love and live like they ultimately ended up experiencing that dynamic power of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer.